Today on the Pollinator Podcast, something that you have never seen and will likely never see again. Mm. I'm Will with Sales Partners, and this is the Pollinator Podcast, where we talk with folks that are helping you to pollinate all those opportunities that you've got going on in your marketing and sales processes. I'm very excited today to have someone very near and dear and close to me, my wife, join me on the podcast because she is uh, not just special to me, she is special to an entire national, very large corporation, because uh, at the end of 2020, it was determined that she was actually the president's award winner for her division, number one in sales for her company throughout the entire United States of America. And so I've asked her to come on the Pollinator podcast today to talk about uh, some of her processes, give a little bit of different perspective, because normally we're talking with uh, you know, small business owners are about small business owners and their, their, their processes. But realistically, the, the process that she goes through in, uh, in, in sales and in the kind of the, the way it, it works is uh, very much like her own little entrepreneurial venture. And so we're going to talk about what's worked, what's helped her to, to become top in, uh, in her company over the last year and, uh, and what are some of the, the lessons that she's learned both for herself and then watching kind of the mistakes and blunders of other people too. So Dear, thank you so much for taking the time uh, this evening to, to, you know, after a hard day of work to jump on this phone call and, uh, and talk with all the, the folks out there. So, I mean, you know, you've got me a little bit nervous. <laughs> oh, thanks but, for asking. Well, the, the, the first thing, let's talk about a little bit, like you're not in, in sales and, and really, you know, we've been married for, uh, wait, I know this, almost 18 years now. 17 years. Uh, and like, you've never really been, you know, in sales or some of the other positions in the past. Uh, you know, you've kind of, uh, resisted that, uh, a little bit and, and by trade, by training, you're a clinical dietitian. So, uh, you know, registered, uh, dietitian worked in that, that clinical hospital setting, but now you're in this, uh, you know, particular types of sales role doing medical sales, for a, for a very large national corporation, which we won't mention for, for legal reasons, but how did that transition happen? And then how do you describe you know, your sales role versus say a, a typical, what, what a lot of people might think of typical as, as, as in like medical sales? So the transition started when we were living in Miami. I was a clinical dietitian at a hospital and I had been there for about eight years and I'd always wanted to move up into leadership role, management roles and um, the opportunities just never arrived. The position I could move into, the person um, who was my direct report um, just She'd been there a very long time and she didn't see herself retiring anytime soon. She completely supported me, but the opportunity just never came up. So um, I kind of felt like I had hit a ceiling and um, I worked, the floor that I worked on, the social worker had mentioned to me that there was a position for a dietitian and she thought that I would be excellent for it. And I had met the person in that role who was transitioning. 
a couple of times because they had come and done some presentations on the floor I was assigned to. And I called her and said, hey, you know, to introduce myself, I said, hey, we've met a couple of times. Um, I understand you're transitioning, um, you're relocating um, within the company, but to a different area. You know, what is it that you do exactly? And she shared with me her role. Um, she was also a dietitian, what her role was. Um, and she uh, said, hey, fill out an application, you know, and I just took a chance. Um, I spoke with you about it. Yeah. And of course you were supportive and um, I took a chance and I went through multiple interviews. I think I applied in the summer and I was accepted and I started in September. So for, for somebody that's transferring out of a, a non a, you know, non-sales role and into a, a sales role. A lot of times, you know, we hear about people going the opposite direction. So what were some of those big concerns, uh, you know, some of the big, big worries and, and what was there? What were the things that, that really kind of helped you make that transition from just kind of, you know, going in as the, you know, as the RD and, and helping people with their nutrition plans and whatnot to now having to, to go into these hospitals to talk with, social workers and nurses and doctors and case managers and, uh, and then the, the, the families, the actual patients themselves that uh, were getting the, the nutrition products and whatnot that, that your company provides. What, what helped you the most in kind of making that transition in the leap? Um, I mean, it was a, it was a com- huge change, a complete shift. Um, in a hospital setting, you know, you are talking to patients, but it's a clinical perspective. Um, you're doing a lot more documenting. Um, you are talking to doctors, but you're all on the same team. Um, when you transition into sales, into a sales service role, um, you are now having to build new relationships and to the point where they feel like you're part of the team, even though they know that you're an outsider coming in, wanting their business. Um, so I was extremely nervous. I'm, I'm not a salesperson. I, I don't, um, I, I did back in like college, I, I tried Mary Kay. I did retail when I was in high school and it just, it always felt awkward. Um, if it's not something I really believe in, it's really hard for me to sell it per se. Um, but as a dietitian, I saw the importance in this role as far as the, was what we provide for our patients. So I really approached it as how can I help you help these people? Um, more than, um, you know, give me this referral. So it took a lot of time building relationships um, and having to earn their trust. And that was the biggest thing was them watching me work, watching me, how I handle communication, how, how quickly do I follow up? Do I do what I say I'm gonna do? the interactions with the patients, the education that I provide that's not standard across um, companies. And that's what built up 
the rapport and the trust. And it, it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen within a week. I mean, it probably initially when we were still in Miami, it took probably about six, six to nine months to really start having solid relationships with nurse practitioners, getting to know some of the doctors, building rapport and relationships with case managers. Um, there were many times when I started out that I was lucky if they would even turn around and look at me because they already had people that they worked with that they knew and here I was a new face. And it was hard, rejection is not fun. Um, and I would just show up, you know, I had a schedule of, you know, what hospitals I was going to go to on what days, um, to, to say hi, see how I can help any new information that I had regarding insurances or our services or our products. I would kind of put that on a schedule. So I'm not overwhelming them and I'm not in their face too much but just enough so they know like, oh no, okay, she's here, she's, she's serious, she's in it. Um, and then once they, you know, they throw me a bone and see how I do. And that one became two and two became four. And, and just over time, they saw the consistency that I provided. Um, and I became almost like an easy button for them. And so that's when they would choose me over other agencies who would walk in, take a referral, and then you maybe never even hear from them for the rest of the day, um, where they're having to track them down for updates and follow-ups. And I just want to, I just want to say for, for everybody though, that, uh, I would never, ever classify you as easy, but you are very, uh, you are very helpful. And there's a lot there to, to really kind of unpack what you do. And, and first, I think we should, we should maybe kind of back it up and talk about the sales process because normally we, if most people think about sales being you're selling to the, the end user, but in a lot of medical sales, whether it's pharmaceuticals or medical equipment or anything, you're not really selling to the end user so much. You're selling to the, to the provider or you're yeah. selling to this, this institution that is then making the referral or the recommendation uh, to there. And while technically the, the, that end user, the patient in this case, you know, they could go anywhere. Most of the time, they're just going to take whatever recommendation they get from the hospital or the doctor's office. And then they can, they can kind of, kind of uh, uh, you know, farm those out or spread those out, or they have their preferred folks to, to do. Not everybody takes everybody's, you know, insurance. Not everybody's the perfect fit. And so the case manager is having to kind of figure that out. And so you're really selling yourself as the best fit the easiest alternative, the people that can get the job done uh, mm. for the for the patient, meet the needs that the you know the doctors have have asked, but ultimately making the the lives of you know those case managers or nurses or or the folks that are actually doing that referral, social workers, making their lives uh, the easiest to make sure that the patient's taken care of, but everything else is not going to be a hassle. Correct. So um, right, we we are not. The referral is not coming from the patient. The referral is usually coming from either um, a clinic or a case manager or a social worker or a discharge planner in the hospital. Um, they do typically provide what's called a patient um, choice list, but a lot of times patients aren't familiar. You know, most of these patients have never had to have 
these services before. So they don't know who to choose. So they're going to ask the case manager, um, you know, what do you, I, I don't really, I'm not familiar with either of these companies. What do you, who do you recommend? And a lot of times we are their first choice um, because of the relationships that we've built, because of the ease of use. Um, so a lot of times the case managers will refer the patient like this has been our experience with this company and, and this is who we would recommend. So um, kind of bringing it back into the circle of what we've talked and what you've kind of helped me develop and, 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 and kind of framing a lot of this stuff, when we talk about client cultivation, you know, for years, it would kind of be, you know, patient or referral partner cultivation um, you know, through that. But we talk a lot about preparing the soil, which is building trust, which is, uh, you know, establishing that credibility and then planting those seeds and, you know, for and, and, and kind of cultivating those opportunities along and along. And just the way your business works and, and some others, you know, it's really about going out and planting seeds every day. And then you're cultivating these relationships that just kind of keep giving and keep giving and keep giving when the, the opportunities uh, arise. You have to be there to, to, you know, harvest it when it's ripe, to, to service it. But it's not this, you know, I'm going to come in and like, here's a single opportunity and I'm going to, to, to close this sale. You know, you really have to, to just constantly be uh, nurturing those opportunities. And then all of a sudden one pops up and now you take care of it. Uh, th there's not this kind of like direct linear process. No. And, and those relations, and the thing with my field is that you'll build relationships with certain people and then they might transition into a different role or they might go to a different hospital and now there's turnover and now there's new people. And so you're constantly building new relationships, making introductions, um, being, being tested essentially by these new people um, about, okay, you know, you're, you say you say you can do all these things, like, here you go, let's see how you do. And even, you can even have a really well-established relationship and all it takes is one, um, one referral not to go smoothly, you know, and a lot of, there's a lot of moving pieces behind the scenes that are not within my control. So even if it's not something that I can directly have an effect on, if something doesn't go the way they want it to go, um, they'll cut you off. And it could be for a couple weeks. It could be for a couple months. Um, I, I had that experience where I was told, you know, we really like you, Shannon. You're an amazing, you're amazing. You're always on top of things, but due to X, Y, and Z behind the scenes, you know, I know it has nothing to do with you, but I just, you know, I just think that could be better. And, and then I'll get nothing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's, it's a, it's a good lesson just for, you know, business owners to, to hear about as well. And to, to, you know, salespeople in general, like, you have to keep up with fulfillment, whoever you're handing that sale off to. And if you're a business owner and have a sales team, you need to be listening to your sales team because they can a lot of times tell you about fulfillment, about the reputation, about things that are, that are happening that maybe the operations or the fulfillment team is not doing as well. And so now going back and kind of like reestablishing that trust 
you know, there's that, that credibility and the track record, the experience that you're giving him. But I want to go back to, to what you were saying at the, the very beginning, like, you know, when, when these ladies have no, and I say ladies, it's not always ladies, but uh, you know, in large part, but the, the, the folks that you're building these relationships with, they have really no reason to do it. Like they already have a list of, uh, of folks that they can do. And, you know, what I, what I heard you say is like, it, you know, it literally took just showing up and kind of being in their face and reminding them that you existed and staying top of mind. So that's that familiarity piece, right? And then you're dropping off. You're like, you're looking for some kind of information or content. And even though we think about content being digital, like sometimes you're, you're dropping things off. And I know I've seen plenty of boxes of promotional products and little helpful things. You know, the nurses love sticky notes and little tags and things like that. And, you know, dropping the, the, the logo off. So just some of those basic things that, that went there to kind of build the, the trust and credibility were, were so key to initiating those relationships. But then it was, that was really just creating that fertile environment, right? Then you had to go in and say, look, we can do this. And I know we've had conversations where you talk about like, we can do this that other people can't do. And so having a clear differentiation between what your company can offer and what it can't offer versus others becomes so very clear. And I think that's a, a key point. I don't want anybody to, to miss out of this. But I, I do want to transition uh, a little bit because, you know, you've been in, in uh, you know, in this role for uh, a little over six years now, but it here almost, in, almost say it again. Almost six years. So almost six years. years. Almost, yeah. Right. Six years in the fall. But, you know, we, we moved. And now we're, we're based in Orlando. And so you basically had to start all over. You had some you know, experience that you started with in Miami. So you knew the process, knew the ropes, but all those relationships were still brand new. And I, you know, I know just from, you know, having our conversations and, uh, you know, pillow talk at times about things that are going on. And, and sometimes some of your competitors and maybe even some of the, the pressure that you might get internally. For, for driving numbers and things and the, the suggestions that might happen, you know, what, and, and we're going to tie this up, like talking about this, this last year too, but what are some of the key things that you've seen other people do that aren't here anymore or that ultimately weren't, aren't sustainable, aren't helping people kind of get to the, these higher levels and ultimately to a, you know, a top producer, you know, generating, over a million dollars in revenue for the, for a company? Um, I think the best advice that I was given when I started was slow and steady. Um, you're given a certain number of accounts and it's not possible to build all of them up all at the same time. You've got to pick two or three that are tend to, you know, that tend to be your biggest producers and work those first. And then once you've built those up, then, and, and you have a steady stream coming in, then you can put, divert a little bit more energy into some, of you know, to another account and slowly build that over. Also, um, clear expectations and healthy boundaries. Um, I've seen people do too much too fast and they just burned out. 
um, there was no, there was no off. They were on, you know, they they were on seven days, 24 hours a day. Um, and it's not sustainable. This is a, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And that is, that was my focus. And so every year I had growth every year. Um, I know people who won president's word their very first year, but then they were never able to repeat it because they went so hard, so fast, so quick. Um, they've never been able to, to show that same kind of growth. And so I was always of the mind frame, slow and steady. Um, you know, like, like kind of how you talk about like, this is, this is farming, this isn't hunting and gathering. So, you know, every year I've been able to show growth and it just finally kind of climaxed, I guess, where I finally, the growth just grew so astronomically from one year to the next um, that I did, you know, earn president's award. Yeah. So, you know, I, for, for other people and we'll, we'll kind of, Wrap this up because the, the the interesting thing is, you know, you were able to to do this in 2020, you know, the year of the pandemic. You mm-hmm. know, Q1 was pretty much done and in the in the books, but now you got three quarters where like hospitals are are shut down, and mm-hmm. you know you're not you just can't come in to the hospital. Period. Mm-hmm. And I know that that kind of freaked a lot of people out in your your industry because oh my god you can't be on the floors you can't go and interact like how are you going to 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 do that and people that didn't spend the time really building those relationships where they could get on a call and somebody would take their call and they had to always be in their face and like pushing stuff and and asking for the the, the referrals you know they they were kind of left out in the cold but you were able to to actually grow in a lot of accounts. And you, you were also able to adapt kind of segueing off of what you were able to say. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what changed with, with COVID that allowed you to, to actually grow so uh, substantially uh, in there, because I think that's, it's good lessons for, for salespeople, but also business owners that may have the wrong impression of what is actually, uh, you know, what, what's really worthwhile in terms of the sales efforts. So a couple of things. Um, one, yes, all the adult hospitals had pretty much closed down to vendors. Um, a lot of non-urgent surgeries were canceled. So, so yes, the, the referral volume on that end did definitely, um, there was a dip. Um, however, I also have children's hospitals and children's accounts. And that was business as usual. And also because so many hospitals had, had, were not allowing us in, I wasn't driving as much. So I did have more time that I was working from home, sitting in front of my laptop where I could actually stay on top of the referrals and, and respond in a much more timely manner because I wasn't driving. I wasn't on the road where you know I get from point A to point B and I have 40 emails that now I have to try to sift through to see which ones are the most important ones. I could be on top of them. Um, so that helped. And, bec- and also gave me a time to build some new relationships with some of my outpatient pediatric clinics 
Whereas um, I didn't normally have the time to focus on that part as much because I was usually in the hospitals at bedside, but because they weren't allowing us in, I did have more time to do more follow-up calls, to have more in-depth conversations with some of the outpatient referral sources, um, to give them more information, uh, to follow up on referrals, to introduce myself to those who I've never had a chance to talk to. And so my growth during 2020 really came from my pediatric accounts. Um, some of those accounts, I was able to grow over 100% growth, um, revenue wow. growth from 2019 to 2020. And it was really because I was able to, again, that drive time was gone. Um, so that, that really did help. So I, I built a lot of new relationships um, that I didn't have the time to um, put into it because I was um, at the adult hospitals. I was doing a lot more bedside teaches, whereas this time they weren't there wasn't as many um, adult surgeries and adult procedures happening that they needed our services. So I was able to put more time and energy into pediatrics and capture more of that business. Um, and that's what, that's really what made 2020 so successful for me. So, you know, adapt and overcome, you know, I, as you said, it's, it's, you know, you're focusing on, on accounts, you know, some that aren't, you know, you're not, you're not being intense about, you know, keep it at a sustainable pace and then things shift to be ready to, uh, to adapt. And, you know, I think that's a, another key lesson for folks. I know a lot of people love to be out on the road, but, you know, windshield time is the most expensive time in, uh, in any business owner, any salesperson's day. And um, so if there are ways uh, around it, sometimes it might be, you know, for a lot of people, it, it was kind of forced upon them to test how, you know, how, how effective, how important that really was. And if you haven't done that, I would really suggest that, uh, you know, maybe you, you try to, to work, work in and, and around that and use some of this other uh, technology and just get on the phone with folks and, uh, and keep those relationships. So my dear Shannon Dukes, uh, thank you so much for taking the, the, the time to, to share your experiences with, uh, with everybody out here in the, the internet land. And uh, is, you know, any, any kind of parting wisdom for you know, folks that maybe have thought about a, a sales role that you know, didn't consider themselves salespeople? And uh, you know, what, what would you say to, to someone that you know, was considering taking that kind of a leap? So I still don't really consider myself a salesperson. Um, I really feel more like I am providing a service that people need and I'm helping, I'm, I'm, I'm helping them to be able to take care of themselves and I'm helping, um, I'm helping solve problems. And I think when I put my focus on that, um, that these are, these are people that, that this is a service they already need um, and that I can be the best person to help them. I find that's what helps me be more successful than thinking of numbers or, or sales. It, it's always about if this was my family member, if this was a friend of mine, how would I want them to be treated? How And what kind of 
who would I want to be to, to be taking care of them? And I try to be that person. So mind blowing, be a good person and you can still make sales. But with that, we'll go ahead and uh, put a wrap on this episode of the pollinator podcast. Uh, again, uh, Shannon doesn't really have anything for, for you to go find or guides or follow her on Facebook, but you, uh, you could find her on LinkedIn um, yeah, Facebook's locked down for, for her. She posted all of our you know, pictures of our kids and stuff there. And so a little bit more, a little bit more private, but, uh, you can find her on LinkedIn if you'd like to connect and ask any other, uh, questions of her. But, uh, with that, well, we'll just say, go get your hands dirty, put the stuff to work. Be well. <laughs>